Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Ayla Reynolds, a 20-month-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed toddler, loved to carry her baby doll around with her everywhere she went. It was 2011, and Ayla wasn't quite two years old yet, but her short life had already been turned upside down. In November, she was abruptly removed from the family she had been living with, her mother's family. Her mother, Trista, had recently entered rehab. Ayla's father, who had been a very uninvolved dad up until that point, had decided to file for custody. Ayla would be forcefully removed from her mother's family and given to her father, Justin DiPietro. Emotions were high for the next couple of weeks between the two families, but everything would change on the morning of December 17, 2011, when Justin called 911 to report his daughter missing. She had somehow, suddenly, disappeared during the night from her bed. The events that would follow will anger you, frustrate you, and shock you. Ayla Reynolds has never been seen or heard from again. Where is Ayla Reynolds? Hello, and welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This story covers the case of Ayla Reynolds and came recommended to me by a listener. I'd actually not heard of her case before, which I'm kind of surprised as it did have a fair amount of media coverage, both locally in Maine, where it happened, and nationally. And there was even some interviews conducted on the Today Show and some other big news stations. But Even though this happened in 2011, we have seen a recent surge in activity in what's happening in this case. I know we play a warning at the beginning of the podcast to let you know that the information I'm about to share is very disturbing 
especially since it involves a 20-month-old child. I want to personally let you know this again, because if this is a sensitive or triggering topic for you, anything involving child abductions, child abuse, there are also some graphic details when it comes to this case, and this episode might not be one that you want to listen to. Since this case has had a lot of media attention in the past, I wasn't sure how or when I would even cover a less story. Even when it came suggested to me and I started researching it, my first thought was, wow, there has been a lot of coverage for this little girl, at least in the past. But while researching, I learned that there is a very good reason to tell her story right now. There is a current court case going on, and any information brought in from the public can help right now. Also, there's an attorney working pro bono, but as I'm sure you can imagine, bringing in expert analysts and testimony can be quite pricey. So there is an active GoFundMe to help do just that, bring in these experts and pay to have this testimony come into court. I will be sharing that GoFundMe on social media, and I'll also make a donation on behalf of the podcast for Ayla Reynolds. I've also decided that for April and May, this will be our charity focus, and all merch sale proceeds will go to Ayla's GoFundMe. And if anyone can donate anything directly to her GoFundMe, every little bit will help, even if it's just a couple dollars. I do want to thank Mike for sending me her story. This is the time to make sure everyone knows Ayla's name and everyone knows what's going on. Now is the time to make something happen. Before we dive in, I want to thank our newest Patreon member, Robert, who comes to us from Texas. Thank you so much, Robert, for supporting our show, our mission, and our charities. This episode is also sponsored by Team Treehouse, the best online boot camps for coding and design, which is super relevant and important in today's world. This is the fastest growing job segment that pays over six figures almost right off the bat. We will hear more on them in a bit. Ayla Reynolds' story is a complex one with a lot of information out there, some of it verifiable and some not. So I'm going to take a look at our story from a timeline perspective. We're going to try to start right at the beginning with her mom and dad and end up at present day. It is confusing at times, so I'll do my best to explain thoroughly. And we're going to stay away from any rumors, any gossip, or really any irrelevant details. Because this case is so complicated. Trista Reynolds did not intend to get pregnant in 2009, but when she did, she knew she had to be there for her baby. She wasn't in a serious relationship with the baby's father, Justin DiPietro, and when she first told him about the baby, he wanted nothing to do with the child at all. Trista went on to have a baby girl she would name Ayla Bell Reynolds, born on April 4th, 2010. Now, Trista had her own struggles in life and would move in with her parents in Portland, Maine. Justin occasionally would see Ayla, but not often, and it was very sporadic. In fact, Trista would later say that sometimes when Ayla would go to her father's, she would come home with bruises. When she would ask Justin how Ayla got them, he shrugged it off and always had different stories to tell. Stories like Ayla and her cousin liked to slide down the stairs and she could have gotten a bruise then. 
One time, he said that he had taken Ayla to Chuck E. Cheese, and she must have gotten the bruise from playing, either from another child or from the equipment itself. In 2011, with Trista living in Portland, Maine, and Justin living up in Waterville, Maine, which is just over an hour away, visits were very inconsistent. There was also no official custody agreement filed with the court, although there was a court order for Justin to pay child support. And along with that order, there was a paternity test filed, which did confirm Justin was Ayla's father. You will see a lot of conflicting reports about that, but we are going to go just with what was filed and on record. In 2011, it was also noted that Justin was late on child support payments. He was in arrears, but I'm not exactly sure how much. In November of 2011, Ayla went for a visit to her dad's. During that visit, there would be an accident that required a trip to the emergency room. Ayla had broken her arm. When Trista pressed Justin for answers, he said that he was walking up the stairs outside the house, carrying Ayla, and that it was raining. He slipped and fell, landing on top of Ayla and hurting her. In fact, he thought she was just injured at the time, and it wasn't until the next day when her arm had swollen up so badly that he took her to the emergency room. Trista was always suspicious of Justin's stories, but I'm not sure to what level. I'm certain that now she's much more so, but at the time, it's really hard to say. Kids get hurt all the time, especially toddlers. Maybe to outsiders, it seemed fairly normal. At this time, Trista also had just had a baby boy and was still living with her family. But Trista was still struggling. And on November 21st, she made the decision to check herself into rehab. She was allegedly going into a 14-day program and she would leave her children, Ayla and her young son, in the custody of her sister, Jessica. Now, even though Trista had her struggles with drugs and alcohol, everyone that knew her said she was a great mom and loved her children. In fact, it was her children that pushed her and helped her make that decision to go to rehab. She wanted to be a good mother. Somehow, Justin learned that Trista had checked into rehab, and he went to DHS, the Department of Human Services, and asked for custody of his daughter. Now, no one really saw this coming. Remember, Justin was never overly active in his daughter's life. So this kind of came out of the blue, him asking for custody. And the chain of events that would happen next are extremely frustrating. DHS went to Jessica's home to let her know that Ayla's dad was requesting custody, but Jessica refused to turn over Ayla. DHS returned with police officers to take Ayla and take her to her dad's. So Ayla would be removed from Jessica's care and would be turned over to Justin and his family. All of this also seemed to be happening without any court orders, which would normally have to be in place. DHS would also have to do three things before taking Ayla. Three things which they did not do. Protocol was absolutely not followed in this case. Number one, they should have done a home visit to Justin's home. Number two, a background check would have been done on all the people living in the home. And number three, protocol dictates that they interview every family member living there as well. 
But again, none of these were done prior to turning Ayla over to Justin. Now, there are two reasons why this could have gone down this way. First, there was no official custody agreement on record. So legally, in this circumstance, it would almost stand to reason that Justin would get custody of Ayla. At least legally, this does kind of muddle up the process, the fact that there was no official agreement. An agreement on record would have helped facilitate what needed to happen. Second, and this may be a coincidence or it may be a sign of some corruption going on in the department, the caseworker that happened to take on this case and remove Ayla without following proper procedure was a relative of Justin's. This woman was related to Justin's mother, Phoebe, who also lived in the home with Justin. Coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. So this woman possibly ignored all rules and regulations for removing a child and giving her to Justin. And this woman also happened to be Justin's relative. Interesting. When Trista learned that Ayla was taken from Jessica and handed over to Justin, she checked herself out of rehab and raced home. She wasn't able to see Ayla despite her many requests to see her daughter. But she was able to speak to Ayla on the phone on December 8th. On December 15th, 2011, Trista filed official custody paperwork with the courts for sole custody of Ayla. She hadn't told Justin she was filing this paperwork because she didn't want to anger him. And she knew it would just start a big fight. But somehow Justin found out. On December 16th, 2011, A very angry Justin sends Trista a text message saying that she will never see Ayla again. On December 17th, 2011, at 8.51 a.m., a call was made to the Waterville 911 dispatch. This first call that came in was a young man who said his daughter was missing and he had learned that she wasn't in her bed that morning. The call was eventually cut off and this man called back. That man was Justin DiPietro. Justin said that when he woke up that morning and checked on Ayla, her bed was empty and there was no sign of her. Authorities showed up at Justin's home within eight minutes of that call. At first, they really believed that she had possibly just wandered off. And the house was thoroughly searched. They thought maybe she was hiding somewhere inside the house. They moved the search to outside. Maybe she had wandered off into the neighbor's yard or into the woods nearby, but there was no Ayla. Trista learned about Ayla missing when an officer came and knocked on her family's door down in Portland, Maine. Trista, in fact, wasn't home, but was driving to northern Maine to visit a friend. Her parents called her and she immediately turned the car around and raced home. Trista knew it was bad, but she had just hoped that maybe Ayla had wandered off. Maybe she had just decided to hide inside the home. Or maybe someone had taken her somewhere and could just bring her back to her. Justin told Trista and law enforcement that the night before had been a fairly normal night. Justin and his girlfriend Courtney, along with Courtney's young child, were sleeping in a bedroom in the basement. Also home that night was Alicia DiPietro, Justin's sister, and her young child, who had slept in a bedroom upstairs that night, while Ayla had slept alone in yet another bedroom. 
And according to the family, Alicia's child usually slept in Ayla's room with Ayla, but for some reason, that night she did not. Apparently, Phoebe, Justin's mother, who also lived there, or sometimes lived there, was not in the home that night. Justin said they put Ayla to bed around 8 p.m., and then he watched TV with Courtney until they fell asleep. Alicia said that she did check on Ayla around 10 p.m., and the child was fast asleep. The next morning, when Justin went into Ayla's room, he found her bed empty. There's actually some different accounts out there of who found the bed empty. Was it Justin or was it Alicia? But either way, Ayla was nowhere to be found. Police searched the home for any sign of a break-in, but there was none. Search dogs were brought in to comb the neighborhood, but they never found a scent to follow up on, and they found no clues or no evidence of Ayla anywhere. So Trista and her family go into full-blown panic mode. And Justin and his family went into hiding and basically stayed away from all press and media, at least in the beginning. By the next day, December 18th, police have come out and stated that they don't believe the little girl just wandered off. First of all, the temperatures in Maine during that time were in the single digits. Second, Ayla is only 20 months old. And lastly, Ayla had a broken arm. How would this little girl manage to get up and out of the house without anyone noticing or without anyone hearing anything? Suspicion is first cast on Trista. Did Trista kidnap her own child? She had just filed for custody of her, literally the day before. And it was no secret that she wanted to get Ayla away from Justin. Then, when officers look at her cell phone location that day, they confirm that she had driven by Waterville. She claims it was on the highway as she was driving north, and she never got off the road, so she just actually passed the exit to Waterville, but she said she never got off the highway. But at first, people did wonder. And of course, Justin's family was very outspoken in their belief that Trista did do something or that Trista did take Ayla. And Justin, later when he finally did speak to the media, he said that he believed she was kidnapped by someone she knew, and that's why they didn't hear her cry. That same day, however, Justin and his girlfriend Courtney and his sister Alicia are all brought in to the station for questioning. Police have been pretty tight-lipped about what they have learned during this whole investigation. But on December 19th, 2011, investigators take in Justin's car and Courtney's car to search for evidence. Nothing is released to the public as to why they did this or what made them think to look in the vehicles for evidence, perhaps because of the questioning done the day before, but both vehicles were towed in. And it becomes clear that they don't think the child wandered off and they believe something happened at home. Suspicion also moves from Trista over to Justin and his family. On December 20th, Trista's family holds their first prayer vigil for Ayla. That same day, a nearby creek is partially drained and searched. Again, no official word is given as to why they searched that particular area. It was very close to the home. So was it just proximity 
Or did they have another reason to believe that they should be searching that particular area? But during that search, they found nothing. On December 22nd, 2011, crime scene tape goes up at the home and everyone that lives there is asked to leave. Dozens of investigators converge on the scene from local, state, and federal agencies. It was all hands on deck for this little girl. Tons of evidence is taken from the house during that search. Boxes and bags full of stuff are taken out of the home. Meanwhile, Trista began making media rounds and talking to everyone who will listen about Ayla. She's upset and she's angry and she has every right to be. She seems like a mother desperate for her child. Justin, on the other hand, hasn't said a word and he wouldn't even talk to Trista about what happened. Eventually, Justin did send a written statement to the media saying that he was just too emotional to do anything publicly. Now, there is a lot of public speculation, of course, as to what happened. And when the case involves a young child, a toddler, people are angry. At the end of December, police do announce that they believe this is very possibly a case of foul play, and they begin to expand their search. Their search not only includes the nearby creek, but also Quarry Park and specifically some dumpsters in Waterville. Dumpsters behind a fitness center, a nightclub, and a Comfort Inn hotel, but they don't find anything. A neighbor comes forward and tells authorities that he had heard a lot of commotion and noise around 3 to 3.30 in the morning the night that Ayla disappeared. It was enough to cause his dog to start barking, which is what woke him up. And when he looked out the window, he saw a running car in his neighbor's home, the home of Justin DiPietro. As time goes on, no sign of Ayla is ever found. And while a lot of people point fingers at Justin and possibly his family, there is no evidence. Or at least that's what we thought. Two years After Ayla disappeared, Trista releases a bombshell of information on a website she created for Ayla. And again, another warning, this is where things will get a little bit more graphic and disturbing. Trista said that shortly after the search had happened at Justin's home and the search of the vehicles, she and her family were brought into police headquarters and taken into a room. The police showed them dozens of photos and forensic analyst reports. I'll sum it up briefly for you, but this is very disturbing. In the home and in Justin's SUV, police found blood evidence in several places. They found blood in the living room and blood in the basement. There was blood splatter on the wall in Justin's room and a sizable blood stain on his mattress, which was about five inches in diameter. There was also blood found on Justin's shoes, and they found a blue tote with blood drops on the outside of it. Inside the tote was a sheet, which also had some blood on it. In Justin's vehicle and in Ayla's car seat, they also found blood droplets and vomit. All of it was positively identified as belonging to Ayla. And altogether, it amounted to well over one cup of blood, which is certainly a lot for a 20-month-old baby. Apparently, officers 
had asked Trista and her family to keep that information quiet, which they did for two years. But when two years had gone by and they still had no answers, they figured, why not let the public know about it? And this is likely the reason that investigators had earlier stated they believed foul play was involved and that they were likely now looking for a body. It's beyond horrible to imagine what might have happened behind those closed doors that night. Justin's family continued to stay relatively quiet. They did speak out every now and then, and only one of them shared an excuse for all that blood and vomit found. Alicia said that Ayla was lactose intolerant and sometimes vomited up blood, and that's probably what that was from. Which, what I don't understand is, if she was lactose intolerant and that vomit was from that, how and why was it all over the house and in the car? That right there, if that was even true, seems like it would be child abuse or neglect to keep feeding a child a product that they're allergic to or intolerant of that they would vomit blood Trista pushed for law enforcement to file charges for abuse or neglect, but they told her to wait because they would rather charge him and or his family with murder when the time came. In 2013, Trista confronts Justin at the courthouse. She hadn't been able to get a hold of him. He wasn't ever speaking to her. It's now been two years and Trista still has no answers. So she tracks him down at the courthouse. And why was Justin at the courthouse that day? Because he had a hearing for a domestic violence charge against his girlfriend, Courtney. The same Courtney that was in the home with him the night that Ayla vanished. Courtney and him have since broken up, but Courtney still has never publicly spoken out about that night. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll try and insert a clip that shows that confrontation outside the courthouse. Honestly, What disturbed me the most is Justin's attorney walking alongside Justin with a smirk on his face, which is absolutely sickening to me. A young woman is confronting this man about her missing baby, their missing baby, and this attorney smirks and laughs about it. In 2017, the courts declare Ayla legally deceased, recognizing that the likelihood she is still alive is almost non-existent. Fast forward to 2018, Trista files a wrongful death lawsuit against Justin. This was postponed in March of 2019 because they couldn't get successful service on Justin. Justin had moved to California and they are finally able to get successful service on him through the newspapers in California, and the case can move on. And then, of course, 2020 happened. So the case has moved along slowly. Trista's attorney, as I mentioned earlier, is working pro bono, and they are working to raise funds to be able to hire and bring in the right experts and analysts for that trial. In February of this year, The lawsuit was amended to include Phoebe, Justin's mother, and Alicia, his sister. In March, just last month, Justin's lawyer argues that their claims are baseless and they are well past the statute of limitations. So that brings us to present day. 
Ayla's body has still not been found, and no one has yet to be held accountable for Ayla's disappearance. And I just have a hard time thinking about all of that evidence that they did find in the home, all of that DNA evidence, along with that being the last place that Ayla was with Justin, that all of that still isn't enough evidence to charge him. But I guess even with all that evidence, we still can't say for sure that it was Justin. Maybe it was someone else in the home. Maybe that's the problem with proving this case. Justin maintains the theory that someone broke in and took Ayla. And his family even thinks that Trista was still behind it. So I'm curious. Do you believe the break-in theory? Or do you think something happened inside the home by Justin, Courtney, Alicia, or Phoebe. Interestingly, Phoebe originally had also said that she wasn't home that night, but in later interviews with media, she would contradict that and say she was actually there. So we don't know who in that home might have done something to Ayla, and we still don't even know where Ayla is. There have been many, many searches of woods, parks, and rivers, and all of that has turned up nothing. The Mesolansky Stream is real close to the house. The house is on Violet Street in Waterville, and it's also close to the Kennebec River. Or could she have been discarded in a dumpster nearby? This is such a sad story, and I can't believe I can even say this. But this is the fourth case I've covered of a missing child who was somehow involved in the DHS system. Adam Herman, Jalik Rainwalker, Harmony Montgomery, and Ayla Reynolds. All missing children, all were involved with the DHS system. And there's so many, many more out there. Ayla Bell Reynolds is described as a Caucasian female, two foot nine inches tall, weighing about 30 pounds. With blonde hair and blue eyes, she was 20 months old when she was last seen, which was December of 2011. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Ayla Reynolds or what may have happened to her, please contact the Waterville Police Department at 207-872-5551. I want to thank you for listening to Ayla's story today. I know it isn't an easy one to listen to, but now is the time for another push on her case. I just can't believe in 11 years that she hasn't been found and that there hasn't been enough evidence to charge anyone criminally with her disappearance. I'll have her GoFundMe linked in the show notes and on social media and Merch sales this month will go to her GoFundMe account as well. Please share Ayla's story, share her GoFundMe page, even if you can just contribute just a couple dollars or just share it any way that you can. Every little bit will help. And a big thank you again to Team Treehouse for sponsoring this episode. Again, their link to their online degree program will be in our show notes for you as well. If you're not following us already, be sure to follow us over on social media. We will post any updates on this case as we get them. I will keep an eye on the civil trial that's happening right now also. And if anyone has any case suggestions, feedback, or questions, you can email me anytime at canwefindthem at gmail.com. 
We will be back again next week with another unsolved missing persons case. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.